If you would, find with me in your copy of God's Word, Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And this morning we will consider uh, the last half of the chapter, beginning in verse 14. And if you would, follow along with me in in your copy of God's Word as we read uh, the sacred text together. It says in verse 14 of Ruth chapter 2, And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom... She had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good My daughter, you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. May God bless the reading of his word. There is a, a clock that is ticking this morning, and it is a clock whose sound and, and the ticking sound can be heard, and, and it echoes throughout the halls of time and space. It is a sound of redemption. The story of redemption that is unfolding before us in the grand narrative of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and the hope of restoration that is to come. And throughout the pages of Scripture, as this clock ticks, there are markers and signs of this one great truth. There is a sovereign king over the universe who is redeeming a people for himself from every tribe and tongue. And at the surface of Ruth, we see that. We see this act of redemption that is happening in the life of this family, the the family of Naomi, where we begin in chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The lowest of the lows, the darkness of the pit, the judgment of God, and yet very swiftly we see the redeeming work of God in the life of Naomi where we come to the end of chapter 1 in verse 22, and she came with Ruth to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. 
We see the redeeming work of God in the life of Naomi. And last week at the beginning of chapter 2, we see the favor in which Ruth found with Boaz. And so at the surface of Ruth, we see the story of redemption unfolding. But underneath the surface, there is this echo of this clock that is ticking throughout the pages of Scripture of a story of redemption, reminding us over and over again that there's a God in heaven who saves. And so we might have missed it, but there at the end of chapter 1, when it says they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, there's something else that's happening there that I have not mentioned intentionally till this point. The significance of the season in which they returned to Bethlehem was this, this was the time of Passover. When God set aside for his people to remember what he did there in Egypt as the people of God put the blood of the lamb on their door and death passed over and God delivered, he redeemed his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and he brought them to the promised land. How fitting it is that Ruth and Naomi come to the promised land. They come to Bethlehem at the time of Passover. So we see this redemption story in its cycle. And as we consider these verses that we just read together this morning, we will see more of this picture of redemption. We'll understand and, and, and consider the picture of redemption primarily through the grace of God. Here in these verses, verses 14 through 23 of Ruth chapter 2, we see that the grace of God is abundant and never ceasing. So what I want us to do this morning is very simple. I want us to consider the abundance of God's grace and the never ceasing work of God's grace that we see in and through the character of Boaz. So first, we see the abundance of God's grace through the overwhelming favor of Boaz, the favor that was mentioned earlier in the chapter that we considered last week, but that we see manifesting itself in Ruth's life. And it is certainly overwhelming. The level and the degree of the kindness in which she, he has shown to this Moabite woman is on full display. I hope you notice it there in the text. I hope you recognize it as we read through those verses, but let's consider it here together. First, he says to her in verse 14, come here and eat. He asks this Moabite foreigner to come and join him at his table to eat alongside his servants and his reapers, this outsider, and she is given to the bread and the wine and the roasted grain of his table. This is a meal of delicacies, one that Ruth has probably not had since she began her journey of leaving Moab. The, the food on the table, though, is not the only uh, point of concern for us here. It says there in the text that she ate until she was satisfied. The, the, the degree and the magnitude at which that word satisfied means here for Ruth is something that falls short for us as Americans because for the, the vast majority of us, there's never been a day in our lives where we have not gone with our, 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 our hunger not being satisfied. In fact, three times a day, we satisfy our hunger with snacks in between. Here, Ruth's appetite and the hunger that she is feeling in her destitution and, and the state that she is in is satisfied by the food that she's given. But notice what else it says there. She had some left over. 
Not only did Boaz meet her need, but he went above and beyond to satisfy the need that she had. Notice, too, that he says there in verses 15 and 16, to let her glean among the sheaves, not only just behind in the field as the workers leave, but among the sheaves as they're they're collected themselves, he gives her even an extra portion. And we see the results of the kindness of allowing her to glean in such a way there in verses 17 and 19, when she returns to Naomi at the end of the day with an ephah of barley. And you say to yourself at that point, what on earth is an ephah? Let me help you. An ephah is about 30 to 50 pounds of barley. This would have been several weeks worth of food. So she brings this back to Naomi, and then she gives her the extra food that was left over from the meal that she had. And we see the magnitude of the kindness of Boaz upon Ruth there in the questions that Naomi asks in verse 19. She says, where have you gleaned today? Where have you come from, she says. It's almost like the child comes in from the backyard covered in mud and in shock you say, what have you been doing? She is in awe by the degree of favor that Ruth has found. We also see the magnitude of his kindness to her and the fact that he tells her to keep close to her Uh, to his servants there. Something that we talked about earlier in the chapter, but reiterated here in verses 21 and 20, recognizing what we mentioned last week, this need to remove the danger. When when Ruth, in verse 2 of chapter 2, sets out and says, let me go to the field to glean, we highlighted the risk that this had for her. And Naomi recognizes that at the end of verse 22. She says, go and work with him, lest in another field you be assaulted. So we see the the threat, the danger that is on Ruth removed by this favor in which Boaz has shown her. Now we need to highlight something here for just a moment that we find here in verses 21 and 22. And that is the repentance that is on display in the heart of Naomi. She says to her in verse 22, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. And we think to ourselves, of course she would say that. Where else would she tell her to go work? She just came back with 30 pounds of grain and food left over. Of course she will say, go and work in the field of Boaz. Look at all that you received. It makes sense to go back. But we consider the beginning of the story. In chapter 1, where Elimelech and, and Naomi are given this choice between staying in Bethlehem and going to Moab. And there at the beginning of the story, when that, that, that choice is put before them, we would say the same thing. Of course they would stay in Bethlehem. It was for their good. This was the promised land. God would surely be faithful to them in Bethlehem. And yet they left Bethlehem for Moab. One commentator said of the repentance here that we see in Naomi, he said they ignored the Lord's constant faithful provision in the past to his people and went to someone else's field. They left Yahweh's field to go work in a field of pagans. The commentator goes on to say, instead of staying in the land God had promised to his people and trusting in his covenant faithfulness, they went to the fields of Moab. And here in verse 20, Naomi recognizes how foolish she has been. 
Finally, though, we see the degree of Boaz's favor there at the end of ver- at the end in verse twenty three, where it says she was allowed to glean until the end. Boaz allowed her to be kept and secure to the end of the harvest. And so any threat that was present for Ruth in verse 2 when she said, let me go and glean in the fields has been averted by Boaz's favor. We must note here how undeserved this favor is. Ruth does not deserve this degree of grace and kindness and favor. And so we ask again at the end of chapter 2 the same question that Ruth asked in the beginning of chapter 2. Why? Why would Boaz be so gracious to Ruth? And to such a degree. It was gracious enough for Boaz to allow this foreigner to glean in his field. And yet he gives her a favor and shows her a favor that is abounding. That she does not deserve. Dear friends, this is the grace of God on display in the life of Boaz before us this morning. This is the measure and the degree and the abundance of God's grace that he has bestowed upon us. He draws us near to feast at his table, even though we are outcast. Not leaving us to glean in the fields of sin and death, but drawing us near to feast at his table, undeserving as we are. And so we think of Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 7, where Paul speaks of the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. There in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He draws us in by the riches of his grace and allows us to feast at his table, wretched sinners that we are. He satisfies all that our sin deserves and goes beyond. Ruth is provided this meal that satisfies the desire of her stomach, but it goes beyond. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks of the grace of God, and he says, It overflowed for me. That word overflowed that he uses there in the Greek means hyper-plentiful. The grace of God is not just enough. It is more than enough. It is not just plentiful. It is overly plentiful. This is is true for the worst of sinners. The most wretched of sinners, there is nothing that can overwhelm the grace of God. There's nothing that you could have ever done in the past or will ever do in the future that can overwhelm 
God's grace. It is overly plentiful and satisfies to the uttermost. If you're here this morning and you have never thrown yourself under the weight of the grace of God, would you put your trust and faith in him today? Would you turn from your sins and rest in his grace that is sufficient to cover all of your sins above and beyond? His grace is sufficient. We also see here, though, that God provides for all that we need, even when we don't see it or understand it. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 4, where he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Surely in the grace of God, he meets our physical needs. But what Paul has in view here is the need that we have for redemption, salvation, and freedom from sin and death. And we find it completely in Christ alone. But finally here, just as Boaz allowed her to work to the end of the harvest and keep her to the end of the harvest, brother and sister in Christ, in God's grace, he too will keep you to the end. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. If you are in Christ this morning, his grace abounds. Not just in the moment of salvation, but for all of life. And it will keep you to the end. Do you know that today? Rest in the grace of God that abounds to the othermost. Are you resting in the abundance of his grace? Is your heart stirred this morning and every day by the abundant grace of God? Are you humbled under the weight of his grace today? Pondering the grace of God is the remedy for our bitterness and our doubt and ultimately for our sin it's the remedy for Naomi's bitterness and sin. It's the remedy for our bitterness and sin this morning. Even in the harshest seasons of life, by God's grace, he's using it for our good. And when we begin to doubt this and become bitter and shake our fist at God, we simply need to look to the cross of Christ to find certainty that his grace is good. Even in the midst of suffering, because it was in suffering that God bestowed his grace upon us. Friend, rest in the grace of God. No matter what you are facing this morning, no matter what sin you bring into this place this morning, rest in the grace of God. Allow the grace of God to stir in you an affection for him that causes you to live for him in all that you say and do. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress in his book, Grace abounding to the chief of sinners talks about this resting in God's grace and considering the grace of God. He said this, My dear children, call to mind the former days and years of ancient times. Remember also your songs in the night and commune with your own hearts. Look diligently and leave no corner therein unsearched for that treasure hid, even the treasure of your first and second experience of the grace of God towards you. Remember, I say, the word that first laid hold of you. Remember your terrors of conscience and fear of death and hell 
Remember also your tears and prayers to God, how you sighed under every hedge for mercy. Have you never a hill to remember? Have you forgot the clothes, the milk house, the stable, the barn, and the like where God did visit your souls? Remember also the word, the word I say upon which the Lord hath caused you to hope. If you have sinned against light, if you are tempted to blaspheme, if you are drowned in despair, if you think God fights against you, or if heaven is hid from your eyes, remember it was thus with your father, but out of them all the Lord delivered you by his grace. To God be the glory for his grace. That is abounding. We also see here, though, in Boaz that the never-ceasing work of God's grace is through, uh, we see it through the relentless kindness of Boaz. I hope, too, you saw how relentless his kindness is on Ruth. And Naomi recognizes this. Twice she says of the man, even before she knows who it is, blessed be this man. There in verse 20, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord, by Yahweh. And so she encourages Ruth to continue on in his favor. And we see the relentlessness of this fact that he allows her to glean to the end of the harvest. And so there's two things here that Naomi identifies for us that are central themes and truths to the book of Ruth. Here in these verses, she identifies our need for redemption And our need for the covenant faithfulness of God. Look for yourself there in verse 20. She identifies Boaz as one of their redeemers. He is their kinsman redeemer. And so just as we saw at the beginning of chapter 2. We see it here again. God is working in the life of Naomi and Ruth through the means that he has provided for them by his law. So the first time it was in his law, he provided for her to go and glean in the field. But here he provides something for them that is far more needed in their situation. They are in need of redemption. And God in his law provides for this kinsman Redeemer, if you're a student of the word, you know what this kinsman redeemer is doing. Uh, But there's two roles in particular that the kinsman redeemer uh, is fulfilling in the Old Testament. So in Leviticus chapter 25, uh, we see this redeemer is, is a close relative. So remember, Boaz is of the clan of Elimelech, the husband of Naomi. And the, the, the redeemer, this close relative, can come and buy back a relative who's either fallen into debt or had to sell themselves into slavery. That sounds weird in our context, but in this day there wasn't just work to be had. You couldn't just go to the five and dime and make a living. So sometimes you had to sell yourself into slavery. And so this would allow for a relative to be bought out of slavery by a price that was paid by their kinsman redeemer. We also see, and and maybe more familiar to us, in Deuteronomy 25, that there's this obligation by the kinsman redeemer to marry the widow of his brother and raise his children for him. Now, in this story, Boaz is not a brother of Elimelech, and next week in chapter 3, we will talk more about the intricacies of the law. But here we see in Boaz, one who is provided for them by the law of God for their good. So I want us to just stop for just a moment and recognize 
that God's law is good. His ways are good. His law is not meant to be burdensome to us, but it is a delight for those who are his. Dear friends, delight in the law of God. So we see here there's hope to be found in this relative, in this redeemer, but the hope goes beyond their temporal need in this harvest. Don't miss this. What Ruth and Naomi need most isn't rescue from poverty. The the most pressing need for Ruth is not that she doesn't have a husband. It's not that she needs a husband. They need a better redeemer to rescue them from their sin. And that better redeemer is Christ. The picture of redemption that is central to Ruth is pointing us to a better redeemer who is the seed of the woman in the garden who would come and crush the head of the serpent. The book of Ruth and Boaz is pointing us to this redeemer. That word redeemed speaks of buying something out of captivity, buying something out of bondage, paying the price that is needed to deliver something in full from slavery and bondage and captivity. And so when you think of the word redeemed, it's, it's kind of threefold. Purchased, delivered, and rescued. That's what we see in redemption. And Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer, points us to the better redeemer who is Christ, who comes and lives a sinless life and dies on a cross and purchases and delivers and rescues from the bondage of sin and death those who put their trust and faith in him. To his glory alone. Not only do we see this picture of the true and better redeemer in Boaz, but spoiler alert, at the end of Ruth, we will come to find that this one better redeemer will come from who? From Ruth. The second thing that Naomi identifies here is the covenant faithfulness of God. Look there at verse 20. She said, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living living or the dead. That word kindness is that Hebrew word that I so often remind you of, hesed. The covenant faithfulness of God on his people. And this is a central theme to the story of Ruth. God will forever be faithful to his covenant people, including Naomi. That word hesed in the Hebrew that's translated in my version of the Bible there in verse 20 as kindness is hard to translate into the English because of the all-encompassing meaning of the word. It speaks of the love and grace and mercy and kindness and faithfulness of God that is never ceasing over his people. That it is sure and true for every believer. And here in these verses we see Naomi's attitude is changing. Her attitude and her heart of bitterness is changing because she recognizes something that she's lost sight of. And it's the faithfulness of God. Now, if you look there at verse 20, you might say to yourself, whose loving kindness is she talking about? Because it is somewhat confusing. Even in the original language, is it the loving kindness of the Lord or of Boaz? Uh, The context to me makes it quite quite clear that this is the loving kindness of the Lord that she is speaking of. One translation translates 
Verse 20 is this, may he be blessed of Yahweh who has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and the dead. So this is most certainly the loving kindness of the Lord that she has in mind. And so suddenly Naomi recognizes something, friend. She recognizes that the Lord is not out to get her. And that his loving kindness has never ceased. His covenant faithfulness still rests on her. In spite of her sin. In spite of her rebellion. And in spite of her bitterness. He is faithful to her. And she sees that it's not just over her, but she sees something so profound here in verse 20. She says that he has not forsaken forsaken the living or the dead. That word living there is in the plural. Why is that important? Because so far, where has Naomi's attention been set? On herself. Ruth has been a cancer to her, a reminder of her past. But here, when Naomi recognizes the steadfast love of God, In that, she recognizes that that steadfast love rests on this Moabite woman. And it also rests on the dead, the living and the dead. And so we we remember the husband who has died and the two sons who have died. And we herald today that God is faithful throughout all generations. And so the ambiguity of verse 20 and is it Boaz's loving kindness or God's loving kindness is not accidental. It is most certainly the loving kindness of God, but don't miss this. It is by Boaz's kindness that Boaz reminds Naomi of the one who is perfect in kindness. It is by Boaz's loving kindness to Ruth that Naomi is reminded again of the one who is perfect in loving kindness. This redeemer, Boaz, points Naomi to the better redeemer. The true redeemer who is Christ. His kindness points Naomi to the kindness of God. Christian, does your life point others to the redeemer? Is the loving kindness and the steadfast faithfulness of God on display in your life for others to see? God's hesed, his loving kindness, should be on display in us. Are you quick to welcome in outsiders as Boaz did? People who are different from us. Those who uh, do not look or act or think like us. Not overlooking the outcast. Are you eager to show grace to all people, even those who sin against you? Do you have a heart of compassion for all people? The hope of redemption is for all people. For Jews and Greeks, from people from every tribe and tongue, from every background, from every tradition. The gospel is for all mankind. Are you faithful to herald the hope of the gospel, the hope of redemption To everyone, even those who stand at odds against you. And so as we've walked through this passage in these moments, 
the clock that was ticking at the beginning of the sermon, this clock that is keeping time on the story of redemption, it ticks on. And it continues, and we continue to see marks of redemption, this God who saves a people for himself. And as the story of chapter 2 began at Passover, we come to the end of chapter 2 and we see another mark of redemption in verse 23, when they gleaned until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. This marks the festival of first fruits. Something that God in his law told the people of God to celebrate. And in a New Testament context, do you know what the festival of first fruits is? It's Pentecost. These two ladies have experienced first fruits of grain that will only last for a moment. But there is a greater harvest that's coming in the New Testament. The harvest of souls from every tribe and tongue when the Spirit of God falls on them at Pentecost and his grace then is poured out on the Gentiles. Ruth foreshadows this great harvest that comes at Pentecost. Now for Naomi and Ruth, they probably don't hear the clock ticking in their time. But we do. We see throughout the pages of Scripture this story of redemption as it unfolds. A God who is sovereign over the universe, the creator of all things, is eagerly drawing people to himself for his glory. And this clock of redemption continues today in these moments. In the busyness of life, we often lose sight of the redemption story that is unfolding right before us now today. So we must not forget that these light momentary afflictions that we face in this life are preparing for us an eternal reward which is in Christ Jesus alone who has conquered sin and death once and for all and it is by his grace and his grace alone that we are saved. And so church find hope today. Be encouraged today. Persevere. Make much of Christ in your life today in light of his abundant and never-ceasing grace. Would you pray with me?